Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See blackstonemotors.ie Welcome to Late Lunch, brand new week. Great to have you with us on the show. Lots of guests and chat lined up over the next couple of hours. You will need these numbers. 086-1800-658, WhatsApp or text 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. I have €264 Euro to give away to one of you this very day. Spec savers, a glasses voucher for €189 Euro and a Ticketmaster voucher for 75 What do you have to do? you got to tell me about a song in your life, a song with a story, a song that reminds you of a special moment in your life. That's what I'm looking for from you. Get in touch with me now on those numbers and I'll be calling somebody before the end of the show and giving away that lovely prize. I'll tell you more about it shortly. Now, I begin the week with something that's been on my mind for a little while now because you might recall recently the Taoiseach was speaking about the housing crisis and one of the strands being proposed to alleviate the problem is to turn to older folk and ask them to leave their homes and downsize and go elsewhere. And this has been running around in my mind for a couple of weeks now. And lo and behold, when I was reading yesterday, Sunday Independent, I said, bingo, an absolutely brilliant article. So on the money, it says, don't force older people out of their precious homes. And it's written by freelance journalist Rosalind D. And she's on the line. Hello, Rosalind. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for speaking to me today. Oh, Rosalind, I have to say, you got me. You got me right <laughs> there. You really did. And you're the well, person I've been looking for to speak to about this. You might tell our listeners, it, what brought this home to you is your mum's story. Well, yeah, Jerry. there's nothing like a personal story, is there, to really sort of hit something on the head. Um, and I mean, my story was my parents were married for an incredible 72 years. Um, my, they lived in the family home, the home I came home to as a child. They lived there for 60 years. Um, it was just, they put their life and the heart and soul into it, you know. And, you know, it came to a time when uh, they were in their 90s, as you said, and your dad had a little fall and he yeah. passed away and your mum was left on her own. 
she was left and she had moved into what she considered and but she made no bones about telling my older sister and myself that it was only a temporary arrangement, Mark you, mm. into um, a sheltered housing development which was actually on the same site as my dad's nursing home where he spent the last few years, sorry, last few months of his life after his fall. He never recovered from the fall. He had the fall in April 2015 and died in August. So mummy moved in there because she could see his window from hers and she, she walked over to him every day. Anyway, he was gone. She was still in the sheltered housing, all set to move back to her own home. Um, and we were, my sister and I were worried about her because she was on her own. We don't live in, in Coleraine in, in the north anymore. Um, her mobility was beginning to deteriorate and the arthritis had kicked in. We were worried, I suppose, Jerry, that she would have a fall as well. Mm. She'd be on her own. She turned 95 that summer. She was attacked. Um, and would soon have put my sister and myself in our box if, if we needed putting in our box about anything, including telling her she needed to sell her house. Um, so that summer, the house was still there, and she would she stayed in the sheltered accommodation, and she would get a taxi, um, you know, a few days a week down to what she called down home. She'd sit there, she'd look out in the garden. It was a lot. It wasn't a, it wasn't a fancy house, uh, Jerry. It was a three-bedroomed house on a, what would have been deemed back in the day quite a posh road in Coleraine. <laughs> it was on the Port Stewart Road. And a uh, lovely garden, though, and her, my father and herself put their life and soul into that over all the years. So she would go down there, she'd footer around in her own kitchen, and then she'd get her taxi back. And eventually, the end of that year, really, I think, I mean, I, I often say to myself, why did she end up saying that she would sell it? Because, to be honest, she never recovered from the sale of the house. I think it was to put our minds at rest, my sister and myself, so we wouldn't be worrying about her. So she sold the house just after Christmas, so that was early January 2016, and she lived for just over another three years, and she never recovered from selling her house. And she never wanted to go even past it, because when you'd visit, you'd take her out Absolutely. or whatever, but you, you were clever in your own way. You went another route. You could have easily gone by the family home. Yeah, because as I say, it was on a direct route. It was on that route to the coast, to Port Stewart, and it would have been the logical road to drive. But something in me told me, because she talked about the house all the time, something told me that it would distress her too much to see it. And one day, maybe about a year before she died, I think she suddenly thought I was going to go that way. And she just blurted out, don't go past the house. And the anxiety in her voice, Jerry, I can still hear it. Um, so she never actually saw her house again after she left mm. for that you know over three years she never ever saw it again because it would have broken her heart and she never accepted where she was you know no. or where she had no. to move to where your dad moved first and then where she was yep. she would never call that home she never brought anything from the home place pictures photographs anything well, like she that brought, she brought her you know her, her armchair yeah. she brought her nested tables and a few of her ornaments I mean obviously it was a much smaller smaller setup. it was a small apartment so, but she wasn't able to, you know, she brought pictures They for three and a half years. They propped up against each other in a cupboard in her new place. She never, and every time I would go up, and in the latter couple of years, I would have been there every every other weekend. Um, I would say, Mummy, why don't, listen, she that is a lovely picture. Why don't I hang this for you now this afternoon? And she'd say, mm, she would just leave it for a while. Mm. And in those nearly four years, three and a half years, she never hung one picture or one, you know, the big family photographs yes. you would have, you know, the graduations and all the things that, that parents of that generation like to have on their walls. Uh, not one thing, Jerry, did she hang? Not mm. one. Because that would have been, I think, in her head, that would have been accepting 
that her home was gone. She even talked about trying to buy it back when she was 97. <laughs> what a woman, what a woman. Yes. What she was, she was, she was remarkable. Yeah, remarkable. But, but broken-hearted. I yes. mean, the loss of that house, loss of our home, blighted the last four years of my mother's life. Mm. You know, and don't get me wrong, when she was living with sheltered, she, she would keep saying, I love the girls, you know, because... She had her own accommodation, but her meals were provided, her laundry was done, mm. the girls would pop in to see her. And because she was of such an age, and she was a wealth of stories, you know, from her own childhood and from my dad's time in the war, and the girls, the girls, as she always called them, you know, who weren't there, they loved her and she loved them, mm. but it wasn't her home, Jerry. It mm. was never, ever, ever going to be her home. And, and you know, the reason I'm talking to you today about this is that you know, people worked their lives and your mother and yes. father did to scrape together yes, the money absolutely. to buy the house, pay the mortgage, improve yeah. it year on year. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there are people who never want to ever, ever, like your mum, leave yeah. where they consider to be the safest no. place in the world and where all those memories are. And you have a view on this. You, you believe that this campaign and there's a bank ad at the moment yeah. going oh, on. Know. You know about it, don't you? I certainly do. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, beautifully made ad, the Bank of Ireland mortgage ad, you know, where the, the elderly mother comes to move yep. in with her son and family um, to a new home that they've just taken over. And, you know, when you see it at first, because when she eventually moved in with them, they have recreated what would have essentially been her own living room, I presume, in her old house. Um, and the instant reaction when you see it is kind of, oh, isn't that lovely? But then when you think about it, it's only a room in someone else's house, you know. She can't leave that room and, as my mother would have done, foot her around in her kitchen or, you know what I mean? It's um, it's only a room at her son's house, don't get me wrong, it's not a stranger, but it's not, even in that ad, that's not her home. And I no. presume will never be her home. No, never. like my mother Marion was. Mm-hmm. And it is all cosy and sweet and light. And, you know, there is this conversation, you know, the way they subtly introduce this in the background and then Absolutely. people start thinking about it and it takes legs, Rosalind. I mean, I'm not saying there aren't elderly people who would be quite happy to do Oh, absolutely. And, you know, if that's for them, that's for them. But I think in an era, certainly in my parents' era, you kind of got your home and you stayed there forever. I mean, I was just discussing myself today. I mean, I'm in my early 60s now, Jerry. but like between 1995 and 2012, for various personal reasons, I moved five times. You know, so yeah. I don't have that concept really of a family home. Where I am, I live in Greystones now, and this is the longest I've lived anywhere. <laughs> uh, and I'm, but for people of my parents' generation, yes. they, they, as you say, they scrimped and saved, and they got their home, and it became their little palace, and it became their sanctuary, and it became their their the holder of their memories. Yes. And that's the thing as well. I often thought about my mother. You know, it was. I, I found her one day when I arrived writing in a notebook. And I said to her, Oh, Mummy, what are you doing? You know, she was a great one for documenting stuff. And she had the bank still on their toes, which was well in her 90s, telling them that they'd made a mistake in her balance, etc. <laughs> so it wasn't unusual to see her documenting. I said, What are you doing today? And she just held out the notebook to me, and I could see the tears in her eyes. And you know what she was doing? She was writing down. All the items, furniture, or all the things that were in every room in her old house, including putting where they were positioned in the room. And I mean, that's not heartbreaking. Oh, God Almighty! If there's not a there's not a dry eye in the house contemplating the what you've is, said Brian, there. Like these, 
elderly people, I mean, why should they be the fall guys for a lack of planning and infrastructure from successive governments in this country, you know? Mm. Why should they be the fall guys, you know? No, uh, I'm, I'm sure that this is resonating with a lot of people listening to us this afternoon. And, right. you know... <laughs> At the end of the day, I often think about, you know, if you're in a community, you love your house, you've lived there, you've aged with the place and the people yeah. around you. A lot of your peers are maybe passed on at this stage. Yeah. And then to have to, you know, uproot and perhaps go yeah. to a, a, a newer type of place, you know, where know. there are a different generations are living yeah. and you have nothing in common. Oh, my yeah. word. It's... I mean, my mother and father were part of the infrastructure of that road. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Other families might have moved in, but they got to know Marion and Jim. They would talk to them. My dad was a great one for the front garden. You know, it was, as I say, it was a manish room. So people were walking up and down. It was on the road to the university. The students would be going up and down. And they loved all that. They loved the younger people. They loved talking to the kids, going to school. You know, all of that. And suddenly, boom, it's gone. I couldn't uh, agree with you more about the failure of successive governments to deal with this uh, matter. Uh, Absolutely. That's, the book stops there but and, and I will say what you said again for some people they love company and they yes. feel more secure and that's fine if you want Absolutely. to do this good luck Absolutely. to you but this subtle you know this yeah. thing going on and, and it's the way they do things now yeah. you know it's, it's I know I know it, it just this is why I wanted to bring it out into the open and talk to you about it today that yeah. people should have every right to stay where they are no matter how big yeah. or small that place is mm-hmm. for their lifetimes I know. if they want I'd have to, to say if anybody had suggested to my, particularly my mother, who was a feisty lady, if anyone had suggested to her or my father, you know, that they'd throw a few bob at them and if they would just pull the front door behind them and off they go, I, I would have paid my money in to see it. <laughs> the exchange. <laughs> I can just envision it myself. You've painted a wonderful picture of your mum today. Talking, we're talking fleas in their ears, you know. Oh. <laughs> At least, at least that I have to say. But look at the point you want to get across and the headline in the article does say it. Don't force older people out of their precious homes. That's the message you want. precious is the word. Yes, it it is precious. And you know, your mum's case is one story of many, many up and down the length of this island, you know, where people, you know, may feel or start to feel as, especially in this neck of the woods here in the Republic, as people start to, you know, hear this more and the narrative cranks up and things like this. You know, pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, I tell you this: you got me. I say it again. Yes, that you're a brilliant journalist. I read you regular. You're a wonderful writer, and I have to say to you, you're on the money completely. Yesterday, if you want to check it out, folks, it's in Sunday Independent, page sixteen. Yesterday, read it, read it, and take it on board and think about it. Rosalind D, I appreciate your time. God bless you. Thank you. Pleasure to talk to you, Jerry. Bye bye. Take care yourself. Bye bye. Bye bye. It's. Something that I feel strongly about as well. And, and and this is the way it is. You know, you see it with the COVID as well. The narrative happens, you know, um, we may not be opening on the 5th of July. You know, the way it's fed in like this. This is what's been fed now, you know, that people who've given their lives to their home and their families and the country and their work and decent people are now being fed this. You know, you might be better in a smaller place. You might be better leaving. And again, I say, if it's for you, it's for you. But there's lots of people you know, don't want to go and, and, and shouldn't feel that pressure or shouldn't be, you know, uh, uh, disturbed by the conversation. What do you think? I'd love to hear from you on late lunch this afternoon on the point, on the subject we're talking about, forcing or 
cajoling or whatever or putting a financial incentive in front of older people to leave their homes. What about our town centres? Here's another one for you. All the shops in our town centres, a lot of them empty at the moment, but all the accommodation over them. I think of Dundalk and Drogheda and Navin and you walk down the main streets there and look at all the accommodation that's upstairs. Get cracking on that first and get people back living in our towns centres. That's the way you, you should be looking at that, number one, that's for sure. Uh, and then public uh, government and local authorities building again. They're areas to look at. But this, I don't like, I don't like this. I don't like it at all, I have to say. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show if you have an opinion. I'd like to hear the other side of your, if, if you feel it's a good idea. Or you can call in now on 1850 is there a song in your life that means something really special to you? Most people have a few. Remember I did the soundtrack from my life? I had uh, three months of them here, almost 60 songs that I could go back to. But I'm looking for a special song in your life today. And if you come on air and tell me the story behind the song, I want to give you a Specsaver glasses voucher. €189.75 voucher for Ticketmaster. It comes to €264 Euro in total. I have that to give away every day this week. So just to show you what I'm looking for, let me go back to the soundtracks from my life and I'll pick a moment. It was the 4th of December 2005. I'm in Lansdowne Road with 25,000 people as Drogheda play Cork City in the FAI Cup final. Drogheda had never won the Cup. They weren't favourites. Cork were the favourites. They'd won the league, but Drogheda won the Cup. Gavin Whelan scored on 52 minutes. Fabio Declan O'Brien sealed the deal with seven minutes to go. And there I am on commentary I'm commentating on the match. The little fella who went to the Lourdes Stadium first, brought there by his neighbour, Johnny Clutterbuck, when he's a little guy in the late 60s and followed Drogheda ever since, sold programmes, worked for the club, raised money, was PRO, financial controller, you name it, I did the works with the club for years and years. And then I came to LMFM and had the uh, privilege and pleasure to cover their games. But that day when O'Brien scored that goal and I knew Drogheda were going to win the cup, I just thought of everybody who wasn't there, who didn't have the pleasure or live to see that day. And there were so many of them. The names went through my mind as I sat there, you know, celebrating the Drogheda win. People like Oliver Fagan, one man absolutely comes to mind who never saw it. But that was a moment in my life and the song that was riding high in the charts at that time. And it summed it all up. And he just won X Factor. Here it is, my song, my memory. What's yours? 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. You know where I come from You know my story That's my Yes, that was our goal all our lifetimes to see Drogheda lift the FAI Cup and they did it that Sunday in December 2005 and that song was just so appropriate. All the years of heartbreak and disappointment were banished at long last. Losing finals, semi-finals and Drogheda won the Cup and that song, I smile and it brings me joy every single time I hear it played. Shane Ward there and uh, that's my goal. If you have a song with a memory, let me know. I have a great prize to give away to one of you each day this week. 264 euro, 189 voucher for Specsavers for glasses, 75 Ticketmaster voucher. You can spend it on your favourite gig. They'll be coming back. I promise you they will be coming back shortly. Hey, what about 
yesterday, Fourth uh, of July, Independence Day in America. Joey Chestnut. Did you ever hear about him? What a name, Joey Chestnut. It's a cracker. Oh, sorry for the bad pun. Anyway, he <laughs> broke his own record. He ate. Listen to this: 76, 76, 76 hot dogs and buns in ten minutes. He bet his own record, yeah, on Coney Island, New York, yesterday. And Michelle Lesko uh, won the women. She ate 30 and three quarters of a hot dog in 10 minutes. <laughs> Lord almighty, the things people get up to. It's amazing, isn't it? It really, really is. Jerry, older people deserve to make their own judgment on whether to downsize or not. After years of slogging and paying back mortgages to banks, we don't need them to advise us on our property. Leave it to the individual to make up their own mind without prompting or pressure. We deserve that courtesy, says Jackie. Jackie, great to hear from you today. I couldn't have put it better myself, to be honest with you. You're right on the money there. Thank you indeed for that lovely comment. Now, we move on on late lunch this afternoon. And if you were to ask me, as someone from the North East, about a famous artist that came from this neck of the woods, first name I think of is Nano Reed. But there's another person and it's a man this time and he is just or was absolutely prolific in his work and maybe a little under the radar for uh, a while but he's certainly back in the picture now. His name is Thomas Markey and to tell us more about him I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch Sean Collins. Hello Sean. Good afternoon Jerry. Thanks for joining me. Am I being unfair when you know most people would think Nano Reed and not Markey? Uh, well, Nano Reed, in fairness, was a painter of international acclaim mm. and uh, rose to great heights within uh, the art world that she uh, painted for in her style, which was quite unique. Thomas Markey, on the other hand, a uh, locally born man from a, a family who had long associations with the town, was a prolific local artist. Now, he painted on all sorts of topics, but his pictures... It shows so many views um, of streetscapes and buildings in Drogheda that are gone. And, and he, he toned out so much. Uh, fortunately, uh, a few years ago, some of the pictures, some of the pen and ink pictures came up for sale in Dublin. And they were acquired by Bernard Wood, the native of Drogheda. Uh, and Bernard was attracted to them immediately because of the views of Drogheda. Mm. And uh, he had them properly, professionally mounted. Uh, and they hang in the EBS office in West Street. Anybody can go in and see them. And it will give you some idea of the work that Markey was doing. Uh, when he retired uh, from his job in Drogheda Corporation, where he had worked as a carpenter, uh, his family, his father had been a carpenter there before him, and the family could trace themselves back to 1722, forced working as carpenters for the Borough Council. But Thomas continued in that tradition, Two years after he retired, uh, when he was interviewed by the Drogheda Argus, he, they asked him how his painting was going. And he said that uh, from his retirement two years previously, he had painted 73 new pictures hmm. uh, in oils, uh, in watercolour, um, in pen and ink. And he also was very skilled in uh, etching. Yeah. Uh, he could etch on copper. Hmm. And uh, that was another course he had taken up in the 1930s. He was an amazing man to tone out so much religious paintings, all sorts of themes, uh, honoured by two popes uh, for his religious work in the 1950s by Pius XII and in the 1960s 
uh, by John the Twenty, uh, John the Twenty, no, uh, Pope Paul the Fifth, I think. Yes. Um, but both popes uh, congratulated him, sent him scrolls of honor to acknowledge his work. But to a large extent, he, he was under the radar because he was very local. Yeah. He loved to um, display his work, which is obvious when you search back in the papers, you find all sorts of references to him. Indeed, at the Drogheda show in 1920, uh, his picture uh, won first prize and Nano Reid came second. So mm. <laughs> <laughs> there you are. That context, you know, in a way, you know, I, I, as I say from the start, he was under, and you said it there, he was a, a little under the radar and, and, and didn't get the international notoriety that Nano did. And the other thing just to mention, I, I know I'm skipping on, he, he teamed up her in 1966, didn't he, uh, on the other side to judge? Yeah, Peter Moore, uh, our local one-time mayor and chairman in his dual role as mayor and chairman of the Brahada Musical Society, uh, they ran a painting competition on the team of the Merry Widow, mm. uh, an apparatus they were about to present in the town. And they set up this art competition for children to come up with some way novel ideas for posters. And they asked uh, Nano Reid and Thomas Markey to be the judges uh, of the competition. So that, that was in 1966, the year before he died. Mm. And uh, so I, I'd say it was probably one of the last public uh, events he was involved in. Um, and that's why I was delighted then last week to read that, that the former mayor, uh, Kevin Callan, before he went out of office, had put a, a plaque um, on Markey's house uh, in the, on the uh, Coolest Street, as we call it, on the Baymore Road, um, but there was now a plaque marking the fact that that's where uh, Thomas Markey lived. I think that's very important. I think it's important that men like him uh, are remembered, and women, people that do. Because I know there's a nano read seat. I think Brian Browning put that in place up at, uh, outside Clark's pub, uh, which would have been Nano's home at one time. Yes. And so, you know, it's starting to commemorate these people. I, I think it's a great initiative. I think we need to do more of that. And uh, Thomas Markey has been under the radar for too long. When I see so many references to his works in so many places, I think it's time we had a retrospective. After yes. all, we have, a, we have a couple of art centres now, and, and why, you know, it would be a great initiative uh, for somebody locally, perhaps, or some local group to collate uh, the drawings of Thomas Mackey and put them on display. Mm, I, I, I uh, concur with your call there. It would be fantastic to see. His personal favourite picture? Uh, he said, uh, and this is interesting, I think, it would probably show you how he was recognised in the town, in the sense that he was given access to so much. And he said his personal favourite picture was a copy he did of the Van der Hagen, which is over the, over the fireplace in Bewley House. And it depicts Strahada in the sort of late 1600s. And he made a copy of that. And he said that was his personal favourite. But there are other big ones um, in the Highlands Gallery. You, you know, when you think of the period he lived through, he lived through the 1916 period, the War of Independence, the Civil War. He was a witness to those events in Strahada. And so uh, probably being inspired by Riccadelli's paintings and views of Strahada, he did a view from the Grove looking across the town and he called it the Black and Tans at Bald Grove. And you can see armed soldiers and policemen standing on the Grove Hill and some uh, RAF planes flying overhead. Um, he also painted Millmount the day after it was shelled 
by the Free State Army in the Civil War. And that painting uh, was done, believe it or not, on a piece of hardboard. Uh, I suppose, you know, canvas wouldn't have always been affordable mm. uh, or, or available in his youth, but he, 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 had, he was painting all the time. And I remember some years ago, uh, Austin Green, who was quite an expert on, on art, when Austin looked at that painting, he uh, arranged to have it cleaned. But he said it couldn't be really restored because it was painted on hardboard. It was a poor quality base. And yet it's still a wonderfully coloured picture uh, and can be seen in Millmount Museum. Um, in one interview, he pointed out, that the, the actual interviewer pointed out that he showed him a sketch of the obelisk the morning after it was blown up in May of 1923. Mm. So, you know, he, he had a great interest in the whole yes. idea of history. Um, uh, one competition... Um, I saw he won where in, in the technical school. The technical school started in Drogheda in 1902. And Marky would have been one of the first pupils to attend there. And that's where he got some formal training in drawing and, and, and painting. And I saw one competition he won was for sketching a building from an old photograph. And I happened to see one of those where he had done the viaduct from a very early photograph during its construction. And he did the drawing of that, and he also was commissioned to do it as a netting. And uh, so he was throwing out, Jerry, ideas and thoughts all the time. On top of being an artist, you know, he taught himself to play the violin. He he played with the uh, orchestra at the Whitford Hall. Um, He also uh, liked to attend opera. And uh, the etching then was another string to his bow, so to speak. And you also come across references where he would paint the backdrops for local shows and variety yes. things in the whistle. Mm. So he was all the time putting it out there. He obviously, obviously loved to paint. Yes. And and the other thing to mention is those etchings you refer to there in copper. Um, there were a, a number of these, weren't there, around the yes, town and... Were. Anywhere, anywhere around the town where there was a, a say, for instance, Lawrence Gate or different parts of the town wall or Magdalen Tower, all those places, he etched them all in copper and he donated them to the local authority who got them framed and mounted on the glass and they hung them on the actual sites mm. of, look, there was one on Lawrence's Gate and uh, there was one opposite Magdalen Tower. And by the 1990s, after the effects of weather and everything else, they were illegible. But uh, through an initiative at Millmount, Eddie Quinn and the late Paddy McShone, who were overseers at Drogheda Corporation, they arranged to have them collected. Uh, They were brought together. They were restored and cleaned by Patsy McKenna. And uh, then Eddie and Paddy had them remounted and hung in Millmount. Mm. So they've all been saved. And it's great that they have been, because had they been left, I'm sure somebody wouldn't realise what they were destroying and and would have taken them down. Yes, yes. But at least they're all safe now and they're very legible and they look very, very well. Well done to all concerned. The man was prolific. He was so talented across several genres. So there's quite a bank of his work, uh, you know, there at the moment. You know, this is probably one for somebody in the arts world, but with time, Sean, do you see, you know, the value of Marky's work, uh, you know, increasing? Uh, well, I, I, I wouldn't be an expert on that field, Jerry, but I do think uh, they are very valuable from a draw perspective. Yeah. And it's very good art. Anybody with a, a flair for art or a love for art would appreciate what Marky did. 
And uh, so it's great to see the number that are preserved now, uh, as I said, available to be seen. Sean, uh, marvellous as usual. Thank you for giving us a feel for the man and his work and all he did in the time. Well done again to uh, all involved in putting that plaque up and commemorating him. And of course, it could be another stop and will be another stop, I'm sure, on historical tours of the town. Sean, we'll be talking again soon. Take care. Take care, Jerry. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's Sean Collins there about the artist Thomas Mark. And I will mention Bernard Woods, who was sharp and quick off the mark to secure those artworks that Sean mentioned there. They are to be seen in the offices of the EBS in Drogheda. Well done to Bernard. But there you are. Coming to the fore after all these years, Thomas Markey. I have company in the studio today. You know, I haven't had company for months here. It's not Brian Farley. It's a money spider. There's a little money spider on the desk here beside me. And I love spiders, as you know. I really think they're for good luck. I'm being very careful not to harm him. And he's welcome to my big world in his book. He's absolutely tiny. Now, let me tell you that the Gary Kelly uh, Cancer Support Centre are busy, busy, busy. Horticulture talk and presentation taking place tomorrow between 11 and 12 noon with Neve Brown. She's brilliant. That's tomorrow, 11 to 12. And then another important one about lymphedema, uh, prevention, care and management. That's with Kay Morris, a physiotherapist, on Wednesday. That's Wednesday from 10 to 11.30 in the morning. You're welcome to join uh, in, of course, and you can check more, uh, check it out on the website, gkcancersupport.com. That's gkcancersupport.com tomorrow morning and Wednesday morning. Interesting. Or if you want to give them a shout at the Gary Kelly Centre, it's 41 9805100 that's 0419805100 wonderful wonderful people and speaking about wonderful people i have to say McKenna man you know them well all oh, their fantastic shops in Dundalk Drogheda and Navin well their goodness and kindness came to the fore yesterday for sure and Connor McKenna's on the line to tell me more hello Connor hey Jerry how you going on well tell them the story of the voucher i'm intrigued by this <laughs> it's it's not much of a story. Someone uh, came in with a voucher from 2012 yesterday, so it's nine years old, and we honoured it. No hassle. I you mightn't think it's much of a story, but I'm sitting there thinking when I saw this a voucher from 2012. Where the hell has it been? God knows. We <laughs> <laughs> do a lot now with people clearing the clearing the houses out and whatnot. But um, yeah, no, it's a pretty common occurrence. And it was presented to uh, one of your younger staff members over in Navin yesterday yeah, afternoon. Over in Navin. Yes, and it was taken no bother. So you're saying to me that this isn't unusual, that it happens, and, and you'd put it down to people coming across them or doing a, a, a tidy up or a clean out or something? I think so, yeah. It's, it's, a lot of independent business would be similar to ourselves. You know, mm. if we sell the voucher, we're happy enough to sell it, so we're delighted to honour it. So you'll honour if somebody finds you. That's the message always. You know, the, the new regulations came in in recent years where now it's in the law you got and there's no, uh, you know, yeah. date that they're, they're unusable yeah. by. But you, you're willing to go back if they're there to take them, yes? 
Yeah, no, we just won a couple from, uh, it was 23 years old a couple of years ago, so <laughs> I Connor, so this is only a whip or snapper, I'm talking about nine years, 22 years, I think we spoke about that back then actually, uh, when that happened, that was simply in- incredible, but look, I-, I wanted to acknowledge you today because no qualms at all uh, taken, uh, the value given and a very, very happy customer, while you're with me, how are things you've had, like uh, a lot of others in retail, very difficult past? 15 months yeah it's been tough now but at the same time it's been uh, like we had the website up and running mm. and it's uh, it's our main business obviously is bricks and mortar but it's very very encouraging to see how well we did like during the lockdowns and yeah. the support locally we got when we reopened was fantastic so people you know uh, migrated to online and you got the support there thank god you had the website up to speed and everything ready to go you're pleased with that but listen Connor, we know McKenna man we know them well you know the service and the care you get when you go into the shops you can't trump that no it's 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 very important and we appreciate any business we get whether it's online or in store, you know. Mm. And uh, do you see like in a, in a general sense you know the way so many businesses haven't reopened and there's a big question about the high street and retail. You know, can you... I can't see a day when it would all migrate online. Can you? No, well, listen, it, the business we did in December and a lot of independent businesses uh, in the provincial towns around the country, what we got when it was out there was extremely positive. So, like, for ourselves, like I think it's the two. It's online and bricks and mortar. You have to have a good online presence, but by and large, you know, Hopefully most people come in store and, and have a good experience there as well, you know. Mm. And of course, weddings would impact on you as well with no blimmin' weddings nearly because uh, uh, the dress hire, a big part of the business too. Yeah, no, it was it, obviously last year was tough enough. But I think with, we'd already seen it even there on Saturday. We are the three stores are flat out with uh, appointments and we take bookings now due to COVID. And, mm. But like from with August, uh, 50 people have been allowed to the weddings and hopefully 100 um, coming soon, depending on um, uh, what happens. Yeah. It's it's quite positive on that score because we're usually busy in August, but we're extremely busy at the minute, and even September and, and the winter weddings are coming. Hopefully, so yeah, you have to be positive, and we all have to keep the 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 good side out too. Anyway, look, uh, you're doing great. You're fantastic people in all three stores across the northeast. Always wish you well, and good on you for honouring those vouchers. 12 years, 22 years, McKenna man will take them once they were bought there, of course, and everything is valid. Uh, thank you for taking our call today, Connor. 100%, thank you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Connor McKenna there from McKenna Man. Oh, I don't want to put you off going for a pee or anything else, but I just might now. Did you see this story of the Austrian man who went for a pee? Yes, in his toilet, in his humble abode, and he was bitten. He sat down, to, he sat down, he sat down. He wasn't standing up, he sat down. And the snake bit him in the bum. There was a snake in the toilet, came up through the pipework. You won't believe this, this is true. A 1.6 metre albino python was in the bowl of the toilet. Now, I'm saying to you, he came up, how did he get there? Nobody knows. Anyway, he didn't see it. Uh, a constrictor snake, native to Asia, uh, was in the bowl of the toilet and when he sat down, bang, bite. I'm going to look every time I go now, that's for sure. Whoa. Wouldn't that put you off? Wouldn't it put you off? Oh, 
God help us, the things that happened, the weird things that happened. Spiting the bum from a snake in your bathroom. Wouldn't that be just a billion to one chance? But there you have it. It happened in Austria. It did. It happened in Austria. I kid you not. Late lunch, LMFM radio. Still to come. Felicity Hayes McCoy is with me. She has a lovely new book called The Year of Lost and Found. She'll be with us shortly. Of course, I have my artist of the week. We have one of you joining us to tell your story. Around the song we're going to play, Boyne, German Shepherd Dog Club, I Pay a Visit. But before all that, ah, she was my artist of the week one week. It's Miss Amy Winehouse. Brilliant, brilliant. Back to black. It's never too late. Remember those words as I speak to my next guest. Yes, she didn't start writing the Finfarren books until she was 60 and now she's an international bestseller. Yes, she's back with another one in the series called The Year of Lost and Found. I'm delighted to say hello to Felicity Hayes McCoy. Hello, Felicity. Hello there, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining me on the show. Well, what's what what's behind this? How did it all just happen at 60 <laughs> years of age? Come on, tell us the secret. Let us in on it. <laughs> ah, well, no, it didn't come from nowhere. <laughs> I have been a writer for most of my working life, but I started working in television and radio. And the books only snuck up on me. As you say, uh, I was 60 when the first novel came out. And... It was it was one of those things we um I live partly in London and mostly in West Kerry. We go to and fro all the time. And we were there in West Kerry. My husband had retired. We were, you know, doing things in the garden. I was a lot less interested in going over and sitting in incredibly intense television meetings over in, in London. And my agent said, what about a book? And I said, why not? And the books kind of began. And the Finn Farron series of novels are an absolute joy to write because they are set in rural Ireland. So they're set in the kind of community. Well, I live in a Gaeltacht community and they're not set in a Gaeltacht. They're set in a making yuppie county on the west coast of Ireland. And they're cross-generational and they have taken off and I love them. <laughs> mm, they certainly have. Oh, look at look at your uh, CV. When I, when I go down through it and see all you've done on television, radio, documentary, screenplays, memoirs, children's books. Oh my God, this did not come from nowhere. Of course it didn't. But look... One that jumps out at me, and, and you know, I remember here on the, our own show, I'm sure Margaret Madden spoke about it at the time, The Library at the Edge of the World. It was a US Today uh, bestseller. That really made your mark internationally, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And The Library at the Edge of the World was the first in the series, and yeah. it sort of sets up, all the books work as standalone. So, you know, you can buy any one book and you're getting yourself a, a novel to read wherever you want it, on the beach or with your feet up somewhere. But they all are in the same setting, and central to all of them is um, this little town of Lisbeg in this fictional county of Finfarren, and central to that is the library, the local public library, and Hannah Casey, who is the local public librarian. And in the Library at the Edge of the World, which began the series, Hannah had just uh, come out of a really awful marriage where she had thought she was totally happy, had a teenage daughter, and then discovered that her husband had been having an affair literally since before the marriage even happened. Yeah. So that was horrific. She picked up, took the daughter and whipped back to the little town she'd left where her mom still lived in um, in rural Ireland and ended up working in the local library because that was the only thing she was trained for. And in the first book, I'm sort of uh, setting her up, but I'm also dealing with the idea of communities really needing things like local libraries, mm. really needing um, to to feel that they have 
that they have roots and also that communities are joined up. And in the first book, the library is threatened, there's a danger the library might get closed. Mm. And it's the people coming together to keep it open that sort of beds Hannah back into the community. So in the um, current book, which yeah. is called The Year of Lost and Found, we still have Hannah um, and her family and her community. And it is hung around the library, but it's also hung around the lives of uh Two young characters, because Hannah's, Hannah's middle-aged, she's found love again, and I'm loving writing a woman <laughs> who's, who's found love again. But the other sort of central storyline is Connor and Aideen, and they are in their 20s, uh, recently married, a baby that they hadn't expected, they have just had, and uh, Connor, who is farming with his dad, is suddenly having to cope on his own because his dad has passed on. And there's that whole thing of farm succession and young people taking over nowadays. And the and the pressures on young people in rural Ireland. Yeah, and you know, you talk about you know something that's relatable. It's something I believe you've really placed an emphasis on that it's accurate. You know the sentimentality that there can be in a lot of this type of writing about good old Ireland and rural Ireland. It's not there. It's contemporary Ireland. Absolutely. One of the things I said to my agent who um, is in London at the very beginning when she was saying, what about rural islands since that's where you're living? I said, minus the leprechauns. We will have no leprechauns. <laughs> we will have no oligoning in the corner. And what we will have is the truth, which is that back where I live in West Kerry when I'm there, the first people who were picking up on texting with farmers up in the, uh, in the, in the fields, you know, you, a sheep falls into a gap and you need help to have your mobile phone and to be able to text was fantastic and they're way ahead the young people in yeah. rural areas of Ireland on, on the internet in fact one of the big things in my books is social media um, because the library is a hub for social media I have a wonderful elderly lady who's teaching um, a pensioner's computer class there in the library um, because this is the sort of thing I see around me and it's it's very encouraging to see how Ireland, and particularly rural Ireland, is grasping the present and the future and yet still aware of the past and making the thing its own. That's what I love, the sense of individuality and community. Maeve Binchy figured in your life a few moons ago. Do you feel that, uh, you know, knowing her and being close to her and in her company and reading her books, of course, has influenced you? Yeah, I think I do. I mean, Maeve was a big part of my life because I knew her <laughs> before she was popular or profitable. I knew her because she was my teacher at school. Right. She taught me uh, French and history and Latin when I was young. And then uh, I and then she went off to be a journalist and went off to be a best-selling novelist. And I went off to England to uh, write for television. And we met again because I was actually um, dramatising some of her work for radio for the BBC. And it was amazing. It was like... I remember I met her in in in, um, in the foyer of a, of a, of a theatre over there, and my first reaction was to say, "Oh, Miss Binchy," and she looked at me and went, "Maeve, by now, I think." <laughs> and so it was, and we became great friends again. And and my husband and I would know her and Gordon, her husband, well. And towards the end of Maeve's life, when she was in very bad health, she was still, you know, shooting off postcards to me and being so supportive of my work. And one time when I had a bad experience on writing um, a screenplay, she sent me a splendid uh, postcard in capital letters, which just said, now sit down and write what you like. 
<laughs> and I obeyed. I can just picture her. I really can. And and it must have been special to you on your last book, uh, The Heart of Summer. Was that the last one yet that you did? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, my good friend, and I can say that, Patricia Scanlon, you know, saying, and she gave you her imprimatur, she said, Maeve Binchy fans will adore this book. That must have been special to you. I just couldn't believe it. It was yeah. the most extraordinary thing. My editor got in touch and told me that this had come in. And, and I mean, I don't know Patricia myself. I know her work, obviously, really well. And I've, since then, I've been sort of in touch with her on Twitter, um, mainly to say thank you because I was blown away. But yeah, that was an imprimatur, mm. and I'm very grateful. And, uh, of course, when you uh, think about this time, you would have been used to the launches and the soirees in the evening time as people bought copies and you sign and there were little eats, etc. I read somewhere, and it's in my mind, that you said one time, you know, when it became virtual, of course it's all virtual launches at this stage, that you quite enjoyed them. Well, do you know, I think an awful lot of authors are saying that. Of course you miss the real thing. And actually, as I'm speaking to you, I'm sitting in a car park. I'm on my way up to Dublin. And it'll be my first time. I'm a dub originally. Haven't been home there for two years. First time there since COVID. And I will be going into bookshops and I will be signing books. Mm. And I'll be, you know, looking at all the lovely things that Dublin has to offer for staycations. But there was something amazingly supportive in the last 18 months happening on social media and booksellers in particular god bless and shout out to indie booksellers in ireland who just played a blinder and continue to do so they behind closed doors they were sending books out they all rushed to update their websites and they kept in touch with authors so i'm now going to be dropping into booksellers in dublin whom i only know online now we'll still be looking at each other through masks <laughs> so it won't be perfect. But there has been this fantastic sense of solidarity. And it's been a joy to, in that sense. I mean, God forbid that we would want it to happen. But this was one of the good things that came out of it. Ah, look, it's, uh, it's what would you say? Independent bookstores, may I say, number one. I always say it here. We have our own book club, of course, at Margaret Madden. And we always say, support your local bookstore. It's only when they're gone, you really see uh, the loss that they are. And, you know, the world is... Bit by bit, even though we've had uh, hiccups on the road and another one at the moment with the Delta, we are getting there back to the days when we will all be able to live life as we knew it just a short time ago. Is there another one? Is there more in this? The segue in, of course, was uh, the library on the edge of the world. This is number seven now, is it? Is there? A, is this there? Is, this is number seven. The, the year of lost and found, which is yeah. the current one, is number seven. There, there are more and found books to come. Okay. But I've actually, I'm taking a step back next year. I'm doing another stand alone, totally, totally standalone, because it's about utterly new characters that I've never written about before, which is a lark and I'm enjoying it greatly. But there's still more Finn Farron to come and what's fantastic is online, I'm internationally there are there's a huge following for it and weird, weird thing, Jerry. I mean, because the books are translated, they're translated into, I think, seven languages now. They did, did incredibly well in China, in South Korea, and France is loving them and I'm delighted by that because there's a real rural thing in France you know it's yes. an agricultural country and that's sort of giving me friends all across the world and it's great books you see break yeah. down borders well I ain't surprised because you have the Midas touch it's called the year of lost and found on your way enjoy Dublin girl thank you for joining <laughs> me on the show Felicity Thanks a million. Bye Take now. care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's the lovely Felicity Hayes-McCoy there. Do you want a book? 
I don't normally give a book away on a Monday. Would you like a book, The Year Lost and Found? I want to give it to one of you today. I'm feeling generous. Would you like that book? Here's the question. Felicity's on her way to Dublin from a county in the southwest of Ireland. They wear green and gold. They've won more All-Ireland titles than any other county. Football, that is. Where is Felicity living at the moment? In which Irish county? Answers, please, to 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me. It's not a difficult question with your name and details. And I'd be delighted to send that lovely read out to somebody this afternoon. Back in a moment with our first caller of the week in our competition. Thank you so much for your songs and your stories. Keep them coming to us. If you've been in touch, they're in the mix here. But I'm going to say hello this afternoon to Noel Bo. Noel, hello. <laughs> hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. It's great to catch you again. It's been too I long. Know. It's a long time I since know, we it spoke. Surely has. Yeah, it really, long, long really time is. Ago. Well, go yeah. on. Tell them your story. Your fingers must have fallen off putting this into the WhatsApp. I know. Go on. I know, but sure, I had to kind of try and get in, you know, all the details. But, um, and your story was so good and so uplifting. I kind of felt, oh, maybe my story's a little bit no. gloomy or No, 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 not at all. Tell us. Come yeah. on, tell them. Okay, well, my father died in 2011. Um, at the end of November, he had a stroke. And on the 16th of December, then he died. So the first week, if you know, if anybody has been through it, the first week, you think he's going to get better and you think we're going to get him home and everything. And we were all kind of saying, you know, look, at daddy will be grand in a couple of weeks. By the end of that week, then devastation just hit us because they had said, look, you know, it's really not happening. We've done all of the checks every day with them. And, you know, we think like that he's kind of in his very last few days or whatever. So we had three weeks that were just off. We were just all devastated. There's mm. 13 of us in the family and then Mammy as well. And um, we were, I live obviously in Drogheda, but my family's in Wexford. So I was up and down the road for three weeks, just trying to grab every little bit of time that I had with them. Mm. And um, and I was staying out in, in the home place as such. And my sister Geraldine, she still lives there, so... You know, myself and Geraldine spent a lot of time together, but to be honest with you, there wasn't much chat or there wasn't much talking because we were so devastated we couldn't we couldn't really talk at all. Yes. And um but we also couldn't focus on anything. So we couldn't turn on the radio, we couldn't turn on the television. You know, it was just people coming and going and up and down to the hospital, sitting for hours, taking turns and staying in the hospital overnight. But nothing kind of outside of that. So we were totally consumed, mm. you know. Um, but anyway, when the last when the last week came, the week before, you know, Daddy died, we were just talking about different things and that. And we still couldn't face turning on the radio. But anyway, to make a real long story short-ish, um, on the 16th of December, which was a Friday, Daddy died that morning. Um, now, I actually wasn't there because I couldn't get down in time. The only way I could get from Drada to Wexford Hospital was get a bus to the, get a taxi to the airport, then get the bus at the airport and go down. I'm getting emotional now because I haven't thought about this for a long time. But anyway, get, got the bus then because the, the Wexford bus stopped, picked up at the airport and stopped outside the Wexford Hospital. Mm. So rang my brothers when I got there and I said, look, I'm outside the door. So Daddy had died before I got there. Um, so 
look us through again. Like it was just all the devastation came down on top of us again. Mm. But um, so, yeah, that was grand. You know, we had to, so we had to leave him there then. Yeah. Uh, we sat with him for a good while then. We had to leave him there. And then you see everything just kind of stops. We left the hospital. Daddy was still there. But we knew, like, everything that we had been doing for the three weeks, we weren't going to be doing that anymore. And so we were all just kind of pottering around the house, but nobody was talking. And, you know, I actually, even though we're in, all in our 50s now, um, I slept in the bed with my sister that night. And, you know, we were chatting and that and whatever. And the next morning, Saturday morning, we got up. And I don't even know who had stayed up with Daddy during the night. But... Um, we were sitting in the kitchen and there was only the two of us at either end of the table and none of us were talking. We just couldn't talk. And I said to Geraldine, I said, I'm sorry, Ger, I said, I have to turn on the radio. I said, because I just can't, I can't stand any more of this, the silence, the heartache, you know. Um, but I switched on the radio and the words that were coming out of the radio right as I switched it on was something like, um, I have loved you for a thousand years. I love you for a thousand more. And I had never heard the song before. Um, oh, sorry now. But... Um, oh, you're okay. We just sat there in silence and we mm. listened to it. Mm. And... I hadn't heard it before, and then, you know, we actually left the radio on for a little while, but then we just switched it back off again anyway. Yeah. But, and then, of course, like, there was the funeral and everything, so we didn't have the, the radio on, obviously, for the wake and funeral and that, but um, the song just kind of hit me so hard in one way, but in another way, it was everything that I was feeling. It felt like that I had known my father for a thousand years. Yes. Um, yes. you know and, and you went I really looking for it I know and you always and he, will and I you went, went looking, looking song after and Christmas. found it I did I, I went into Google and I put in the didn't know who sang it and I put in um, I I have loved you for a thousand years song. well Noel and of course Christina Perry came up here it is <laughs> just for you today you're a winner today congratulations <laughs> here's your song enjoy so I will, Jerry. Thank you so much. How to be brave? How can I love when I'm Yes, the song that reminds Noel Bow about her daddy, Christina Perry, and a thousand years. Congratulations, Noel. You are the winner today. Of that Specsavers voucher, it's worth €189 and also the voucher for Ticketmaster worth 75 quid. She's €264 up this afternoon for telling me her lovely story. And it's touched so many of our listeners as well. It could be you tomorrow. What's your song? What's your story? Let us know. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. A listener phoned in to say that another great local artist was Simon Coleman. Look up his fabulous work and you'll see his amazing pictures. Thank you for that. I will indeed. John was on to us to say he remembers Nano Reed well in Reed's pub in James's Street. They had an old grocery shop. He used to come down into the pub and play orchestra music she did indeed thanks indeed for getting in touch with us today now my artist of the week i am stepping back in time but i promise you you love this fella yes nathaniel adams cole was born in montgomery alabama 
on March 17th, yes, St. Patrick's Day, 1919. He had three brothers, Eddie Ike and Freddie, who also pursued musical careers. His uh, dad, Edward, was a Baptist minister, but the music came from his mother's side. His mother was Perlina, who taught young Nat to play the piano. The family moved to Chicago, where Cole, not too fond of school, would sit outside the local clubs to listen to the likes of Louis Armstrong. At 15, he dropped out of school to pursue what would be a stellar music career. He joined brother Eddie in the Eddie Cole Swingsters, who performed in the revival of a famous musical of the time called Shuffle Along. At that time, he met and married Nadine Robinson, He was 18 and the couple moved to Los Angeles to live. The marriage lasted 10 years, there were no children, but ended in divorce in 1948. And when that divorce was finalised, just six days later on Easter Sunday, Nat King Cole married singer Maria Hawkins, who he had five children with and who stayed by his side for life, despite Cole's many misdemeanours. Let's enjoy one of the most beautiful voices of all time with this one released in May 1950. It's the wonderful Nat King Cole. Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa, men have named you. Ah, the wonderful Nat King Cole, my artist of the week this week. Brian Farley's right, I won't be bucklapping around the studios this week. It'll be a calmer week with Nat, but one of the most beautiful voices of all time. And more about him, and uh, we listen back to some of his wonderful songs throughout the week here on Late Lunch Roundabout. This time, just reminding you on the music theme, if you're chilling out in the back garden and the weather, well, summer weather, a little bit of showery at the minute, but it's going to get better. Check out the Back Garden Festival with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialists in sound this summer. The perfect way to spend a summer evening with your festival favourites. You can listen on the LMFM app or on lmfm.ie. Now we're heading to our final break of the day and of the week on late lunch. And when we come back, yesterday around lunchtime, I paid a visit to the Boyne German Shepherd Dog Club, their new facility. We're going to hear all about it next. Okay, I've arrived this morning at Boyne German Shepherd Dog Club, new grounds on Marley's Lane in Drogheda. And boy, is this impressive. And as I was driving in here, I met dog owners and their dogs heading in the opposite direction. Now, joining me today is Jim Corcoran and Huey Rooney, men synonymous with canine training for years and years. Huey, first of all, why are those people heading away from here? Tired them, tired them down before they come in to do any walk. Get them a bit of rest. They can't take them out of a van and then take them into a field. He needs a bit of relaxation for a few minutes. Now, this is really impressive, I have to say, here today. This is brand new. Tell us what it's all about or where the whole concept came from. Well, I started many years ago with Jim Corkin in Dyer I was only a young lad. And the first thing I always loved was German Shepherds. And the late Jack Clark and Frank Campbell, I used to, meet, I used to see them down the park. It was lovely to watch the German Shepherd walk. And I said, someday. And the dream came true. 16 champions later. In Germany here. We've been everywhere and it's been a dream that any young lad can do. It doesn't matter whether it's golf, fishing, anything. Your dream is there, you can do it. And I've been lucky. I've been lucky of a good family. This is now adding on to that dream. This is yeah. the next step, is it here? Yeah, the next step forward. And without Mullins, coach hire and bus hire there, they gave us the land and they helped us all the way here to do this. 
without them, you know, th this wouldn't be here today. And then the lads that helped me, everybody put their heart and soul into this. And it was a lot of hard work, three months of hard work. And it paid off today looking at this. There's nothing in the town here for dogs, nothing. You know, and they're giving out a bit of dog poo everywhere and all that. We have a place here now that anybody's welcome to come up and train. Everything we make here goes back into this. Non-profit, nothing. Nobody gets anything, only this field. This is a training ground, not just for German Shepherds, no. for all dogs, all dogs, and it's here now, the first of its kind in yeah. the area. Yeah, all done by the, lo by the local lads here, and Anthony Malia and his father, as I said, were brilliant, and Alan. Everybody was brilliant, and we stuck here late, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, and to get it right... It's, it's brilliant, like, and when you look at it now, mm. and everything that's in it, like, we've a lot more to do, and we want more stuff in it, and that's why we put money in the kitty, and we get all the stuff that we can. Dogs are important. When you get a dog, and you've nowhere to go, it's not fair on the animal. Left at home all day. Bring them out. Let them enjoy the other dogs, and enjoy the classes. I started with, with nothing, and Jim was very good to me starting off, and then I started to train myself, and then I went on with my family, you know. Mm. You're to be admired, I have to say that, Huey. Jim Corkin, you're listening to your star pupil now, now master himself yeah. of uh, dog training. You must be delighted yourself, Jim, after all these years to see this here today. Well, the amount of work that has gone into here has been amazing. Now, I had very little to do with it, but I, I suppose I was always there if I was wanted. And uh, I, I'm just the admiration I have for Huey. Our great mentor at that time was Tommy O'Flaherty. And Tommy taught us how to train he was absolutely amazing we went on from that and we ran the classes for years Huey was with me and then he came up here and uh, I more or less take a back seat I only have one German Shepherd left so that's that but I've enjoyed all the time and this is a facility that is going to be a great help to the young people of Drada to get interested in something and hopefully it'll be German Shepherds. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, people think of the German Shepherds, or Alsatians are the more commonly known, and they think, oh, God, they're a ferocious dog. They take a lot of training and minding, and you need to be careful with them. What do you say to that? No. They're the absolutely even, most even-tempered dog you're likely to get. Unfortunately, at one space in time, we had people who weren't suitable for their dogs. And that created a bit of a problem. But that's nearly all gone now. With the training that is here, there's no problem with any of the dogs. I, have never, I haven't seen a bad dog in years. Do you know what I mean? I've seen a lot of bad people, but not a bad dog. <laughs> You've said that to me before. It's actually the owners need the training. The owners need the training. And it's very important that they get it and start at a young age and have the interest. And once they have the interest, that's it for life. What age should you start training a puppy at? Well, I'm a four-month. Four Huey might be a bit earlier, mm. would he? 12 weeks get them out after, after his shots get them out and meet people yeah. get them into the field get them around other dogs most important socialising very important for any dog yeah. whether it's a full bed or a mongrel very important socialising with kids everything like that we've seen the, like, the worst dog of all is a spoiled dog and we've seen that only lately down, down the country there on a the spoiled dog spoiled dogs are dangerous mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter who owns it if it's spoiled it eventually will do damage. Okay. So at the end of the day, when you keep training and keep training and keep them going, you'll never have a problem with a dog. Never. Is it ever too late to start with a dog? Can you teach an old dog new tricks, Jim? Yes. Yes, you can. It may take a bit longer and a bit more effort, but you can. I've seen dogs coming at two years of age and they still made great dogs, even though they had inherent problems starting. It's never too late. 
all about enjoying a dog. If you don't want to enjoy the dog, don't have a dog. And you don't have to pay all this crazy money that people are out to getting stung for with these puppy farmers. There's plenty of dogs in the homes that need a home. Go and get one. If you want to just go walk with a dog, go and get one of them to give a dog a home. This is your first big Sunday at the new venue. Yeah. What's the arrangements? How do people, if people have a dog and they're listening to this today and they'd like to find out more, when are you on here and what's the story? We're here half seven Monday night. We're here half seven Thursday night. And we're here Sunday half two. And if there's anybody with problems, they can contact me on my Facebook. My son does all that. We'll, we'll help them out. They can come up. They don't have to do anything. It doesn't cost them to come up for a chat and the whole lot. And as I said, we're here to help. And with the COVID and the whole lot, we've tried through the COVID, but we kept our distance and all that. And we... We've sanitized everything there. Once you're out in the air, you stand a good chance. So we enjoy it. I love it. Derek Mullen, we're here on Marley's Lane and you have your corporate headquarters here beside us. A piece of ground here has been turned into something special. I just can't believe what I'm seeing today with the uh, Boyne German Shepherd Club. You've given them the, the land here. What a gesture. We, we've, we will show, it was going to waste with us here, Joey. We weren't using it, so the, the club might as well avail of it. Huey looks after it, cuts the grass, and she'll look at it. It's, it's, it's gorgeous, you know what I mean? Like, Are you into dogs yourself? I have a little dog, yeah. yeah. I should have brought him up. <laughs> you should have. I'm just going to say, you're the man. You should be availing. You get a free gratis. Look, look at Huey walking away laughing. It's free gratis for you, know, Derek. I don't know if Huey would be able to train him or not. Now he's here. <laughs> Listen, oh, these boys like... have told me to hear, Jim, that they can train any dog of well, any age. I believe so, yeah. He's the best around, I believe, you know. But delighted to have them here. Somebody's getting used to the land. That's all I can say. It's nice and it's a really wonderful gesture and I'm sure all of the people here, speaking on their behalf and Huey and Jim, they thank you for this. Yeah, it's, no. it's a wonderful addition to Drahad and its hinterland. Without the Mullins family, we wouldn't be here. Simple as that, because nobody gave you anything like this. And when we spoke at the beginning of pulling the place apart, they were all for and anything we needed, we got. And look, that's the result of it there today. They were great to us and they've everything done here for us to help us, anything. And most of all, they're into the kids around here. Derek and his brothers and all that to help kids if they want to come here they're welcome to come in here Absolutely Derek listen great gesture wonderful be proud of it and well done to the Mullins Thanks a lot Before we finish you must be pleased with this man taking up the mantle and uh, what he's done here for dog owners and prospective dog lovers as well I am very pleased because uh, he's come through hard times he's expert at handling the dog uh, he's nearly even nearly as good as I am myself. <laughs> ne- and I know I say nearly. That's Peter. some compliment. <laughs> Huey Rooney, I leave you now. You're getting to work here. Look, they're all ready to go. Congratulations on a Thanks wonderful development to and everybody. a big, big addition to the town of Drogheda and the surrounding areas as well. Good luck to you. And thanks, you, Joey, for all your help over the years too with everything that we've done here and the things that we've done as a club, sponsoring things and charities and things like that. So that's what it's all about. This couldn't happen to a nicer fella. Thanks very much. Thank you. Yes, a wonderful addition on uh, Marley's Lane, not far from where I sit here in LMFM Studios. That's your landmark. 7.30 Monday and Tuesday, 12.30 Sunday. If you have a dog of any breed and you want to socialise them and get some training, they're the people to talk to. Check them out and check out the Facebook page as well. Anyway, we leave you today by letting you know that our winner of the book, yes, the year of Lost and Found by Felicity Hayes McCoy. The answer I was looking for is Kerry. The winner is Caroline Lynch. It's on its way to County Mead. Caroline, enjoy. Thanks to Brian Farley for guiding me once again this afternoon. Eddie's next with The Drive. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio. See you Tuesday, 1.30. In the meantime, we say goodbye to you in the company of Little Mix. 
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range, whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric. We have the perfect car for you. See blackstonemotors.ie Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.